Welcome to Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Louis Unga. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast. Lou here in studio with uh, Jordan. Uh, Jordan, what's up, man? How was your week? It was good. It was busy, 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 and more busy. How about you, man? Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Same answer too, but yeah. happy to be here. Happy to talk some Second Nephi chapters oh, yeah. twenty through twenty-five. Super awesome chapters. A lot of things to uh, cover in our show, so we'll we'll jump right into it. So, chapter twenty in this opening chapter, Isaiah writes extensively about the dangers of pride and boasting. The arrogance of the Israelites was like always seem to be their undoing. And it happened generation after generation. The same was true of the Assyrian and Babylonian kings as well. But as we think about that, it's easy to kind of assign blame to them, but let's not forget the role that Satan plays in all of this. For sure. Yeah. The adversary will tell you how great you are. And especially for people in positions of power, it doesn't take much convincing for us to believe that we alone have achieved this thing or that thing. Starting in verse 12, the Lord says, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Now, in this next verse, listen to how many times you hear the words, I or my. For he, the king of Assyria, saith, by the strength of my hand and by my wisdom, I have done these things. For I am prudent and I have moved the borders of the people and have robbed their treasures. And I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all of the earth. I lost count pretty quickly, but wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pattern and a cycle that we see throughout the scriptures and honestly throughout history as well. People taking credit for their success and not giving any credit to the Lord. It seems to me that not many things infuriate God like the ingratitude of man. You think of, just off the top of my head, Pharaoh of Egypt and King Nebuchadnezzar and Goliath mm. and the Pharisees, Saul of Tarsus, just a few of many, many examples just in scripture alone. And and each of them felt the anger of God in various ways because of their arrogance. I, we spend an awful lot of time, and I'm talking about both in the church and just in religion in general, we spend an awful lot of time teaching and talking about humility versus arrogance. And in, in my opinion, we very often describe humility incorrectly, and it can be dangerous to do so. Sometimes devastating self-esteem issues arise, especially in young people from others who are well-meaning but teach humility incorrectly. Right. Correct humility is really, really simple. And just as in most things, Jesus showed us the way. Acknowledging God's hand in all things. Like, that's it. The Lord has given us everything we need, and all of the knowledge that we need to live our lives with a humble confidence. Being a daughter or a son of the very God of the universe inspires us and fills us with confidence, and it should. But as stated over and over again in scripture and from the mouths of prophets, acknowledge God in all things. He isn't part of our success in this life. He is the reason it happens in the first place. One of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's not just a reference to idolatry. It's also a warning to avoid abundant and lavish self-worship. Something that I've learned from my daughter, she actually tries to say her prayers and just 
have a prayer of just saying thank you. Wow. Which That's is awesome. I mean, so awesome. So con- continuing on in chapter 20, in verse 24, one of the biggest question marks when it comes to, to mankind's quest to know, first, if there is a God, and second, what kind of God is he? One of the hurdles to this quest is why does God allow suffering, slavery, murder, and other brutalities? Here in chapter 20, the Lord explains in verses 24 and 25, quote, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. Hmm. And then in verse 27, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Hmm. Powerful, powerful things. And keep in mind, when he says that they shall lift up their staff against thee after the manner of Egypt, this is a people that have the bondage and slavery of the Egyptians still fresh in their minds. I think one of the things that is hardest for us to accept, and many people struggle with this, is the fact that God is a just God in spite of the injustices of this world. The issue really comes down to a fundamental question of faith. Either you believe that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, or you don't. I, I hope that's not oversimplifying it, but if, if you believe that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, by virtue of that declaration, you must also believe in his ability and his power to make right all of the injustices of this life. All of them. I believe with all my heart and I testify that God is all-powerful and that he can and will, through the atoning blood of his only begotten son, mend and resolve and set right all of the horrors and atrocities that befall mankind in this fallen world. From Isaiah 43, Remember ye not the former things. Behold, I will do a new thing. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So powerful to have that and that understanding, just knowing that God is there and he will show you time after time. Moving into chapter 21, uh, chapter 21 starts off with a wonderful but confusing prophecy. And it's in verse one. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. All I have to say after that verse is, thank goodness for modern revelation, right? <laughs> in, in Doctrine and Covenants section 113, we learn a little bit about what all of this means. By the way, if you've ever struggled with your testimony of Joseph Smith as a prophet of God, and let's not pretend like this isn't a real thing and a terrifying issue for some people. Right. Doctrine and Covenants section 113 is a powerful witness of his calling, I'm just saying. In section 113, starting in verse 1, who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? Verily, thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. So that's fairly straightforward, right? We know who Jesse is. Jesse is the father of King David. He's the grandson of um, Ruth and Boaz. And through his lineage came the Messiah. So back to section 113. What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come out of the stem of Jesse? The answer, behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ who is 
partly a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. It's pretty clear from that verse that the servant is undoubtedly Joseph Smith. Speaking of Joseph Smith again, in verse 6 of DNC 113, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. So, this prophecy, once it's understood, makes a lot more sense. And what helps even more is that this verse appears in Joseph Smith history. Right. And Joseph Smith actually says that many of his visions with the angel Moroni, he often quoted this very chapter from Isaiah. You know, he tells of a day that has not come yet, that they who would not hear his voice should be cut off from among the people. And he goes on to testify that powerful leaders will come forth in the last days to lead the great gathering of Israel. So, if the angel Moroni is quoting this quite often, definitely a chapter to review for sure. No doubt about it. Uh, Continuing on here in chapter 21, verse 3 discusses the just judgment of the Savior. And there's an experience that I had that taught me about judging other people, and I'd like to share that with you. So many years ago now, I was about 21 years old, so this is a long time ago, me and a couple of buddies from the golf course that I worked at decided to take a short trip to Southern California to, to play some golf. So we lined up rounds of golf, uh, four rounds of golf in two days, because when you're 21, you can do things like that. Yeah, my back hurts just hearing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I brought with me on the trip a dozen brand new golf balls. And if you're a golfer at all, you know how picky people can be about their golf balls, especially <laughs> if you're a higher level golfer. And so I had a very particular brand, a very particular golf ball that I liked. Uh, if you're a golfer, you also know that golf balls aren't cheap, right? They're, they're kind of expensive. So I don't lose a ton of golf balls when I play. So I kind of knew that this dozen golf balls would be enough for the whole trip. So we drove all night and we arrived at the golf course early in the morning for this first round of golf. And at a public course, when you only have three players in your group, the course will often pair up a single golfer with you to make a group of four. That was the case during this round as a mild-mannered, middle-aged man joined us and shared a golf cart with me. So after the typical meet and greet, we proceeded to the first tee to begin our round. When we got to the tee, I noticed that he reaches into the little basket that's behind the seat where you keep like golf balls and other things. And he takes a ball out of my dozen and walks to the tee and proceeds to hit it, which is just super weird. Not only does he hit it, but he duck hooks it into the woods. It's a wooded area with high weeds. And I'm thinking to myself, we're never going to find that golf ball. Like he just aced a golf ball into the woods and it's gone. (laughs) So we drive out there and we look for it for a couple of minutes. And sure enough, we don't find it. So he says, I'll just drop one here. And he reaches into the basket and takes another one of my golf balls and drops it and, and hits it. And so at this point, I'm thinking like, why? Like, what is he doing? Does he think that like the course gave us these golf balls to share? I don't know. Like we didn't know. So anyway, this continues for the entire round and I don't really say anything because I wasn't really in the frame of mind to get into a confrontation over this. <laughs> right. I'll just buy some more golf balls. But, uh, I think on hole number six, I, I finally hit a ball in the water. And so I, I, I went and grabbed one out of the box and I'm just thinking to myself, this is weird. Anyway, end of the round comes, we're kind of, uh, saying our goodbye. He thanks us for letting him tag along. And I had lost a couple of golf balls out of the dozen. This guy lost like seven or eight balls. So he's packing up his stuff and he, he reaches into the basket, picks up the box and says, Hey, there's only a couple left. Do you, do you want to hang on to them? Or, and I 
kind of gave him what must have been a dirty look and a little <laughs> scoff. And I was like, uh, no, I'm good. You can just keep him. And so he was like, okay. And he puts him in his bag and we left. So we're, we get in the car and we're driving to the second golf course to, for the second round of golf. And I'm telling my buddies what happened. And they're just like, dude, that guy's so weird and rude. Like, why would you do that? So we get to the golf course, we unload our stuff. I'm like, Hey, I got to go in the golf shop and buy some extra golf balls because this guy wasted all mine. And I remember that my wallet is in my bag. So I go back to my bag. I unzip and I'm feeling around for my wallet and I feel the familiar feel of a brand new dozen golf balls in my hand. And I'm like, I'm confused for a minute. And then it dawns on me what happened. The golf balls that were in the basket at the other course weren't mine. They were his. <laughs> he wasn't the weird, rude one. I was. <laughs> so you just gave him a dirty look for nothing. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, I start to feel this and there's no way to reach out to the guy to say, to apologize right. <laughs> for what happened. But to your point, I thought a lot about the events of that morning, especially at the end when he offered me his last two golf balls just to be a nice guy. And I respond with like a, you know, dirty look and a scoff. <laughs> so since that day, it's occurred to me many, many times that every single time that we pass judgment on someone, we're doing so without having all the information. Right. If, if you think about it, that's totally true. Even when we think we know all the information, we don't. Mm. We, we just don't. In fact, the only one who knows all of the facts, all of the conditions, and all of the circumstances in any judgment is the Lord. In verse 3 of chapter 21, Isaiah explains why the Lord judges perfectly in contrast to the judgments of man. Quote, and shall make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. I love that. Sometimes the message, both in our church and just in religion in general, is don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And it's a fine message. But the truth of the matter is we aren't going to stop judging. We're a judgmental species and we live in a culture and a world that not only is conducive to being judgmental, but it requires us several times per day to make snap judgments about people. You and I have seen this, Jordan. I don't know if you recall this, but a few years ago, we went to a Phoenix Suns game and we actually left that game early so that we could beat the traffic. So we're walking through downtown Phoenix. And if, you, if you've only listened to us and you don't know Jordan and I, we are what the scriptures would describe as large in stature, right? Like we're big guys, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, not bean poles by any means. No. So- here we are wearing jeans and hoodies and ball caps, and we're walking through the streets of downtown Phoenix, and you can see it on people's faces from 50 feet away, right? Like, I'm going to cross the street here because I'm not walking past those guys. <laughs> That's a judgment, and it's incorrect because neither of us would dream of committing any evil doing against somebody simply walking by us. Right. However, I'm not offended by that because all of us have to do that each and every day. So I love the message of don't judge people, but... Maybe the message should shift to, we're going to judge in your judgments of people, try to do it through the eyes and the ears and the heart of the Savior as much as you can. We're going to fall short of that because we're not the Savior. But I know that if we all made that effort to do that, the culture of our church, our families, our friendships would all be kinder, gentler places to be. Definitely a powerful mindset that you were able to take away from Isaiah here. It reminds me of the great 
Mother Teresa, you know, the founder of missionary work in the Catholic Church, she's famous for saying, if you stare at somebody long enough, you'll eventually see Christ. Yeah. You know, and I... Oh, that's so awesome. Well, let's move on to chapter 22, though this is a very short chapter. There is a beautiful reference here to the millennium, and it describes the faithful who survived the destruction of the second coming through praying to the Lord and rejoicing at his salvation. So just so much gratitude, especially shown in verse two, which I'll go ahead and read now. It says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord. Jehovah is my strength and my song. He is also my salvation. I love how he chooses to describe the Lord as my strength and my song here. Well, this, to me, it shows the pure importance of music and the power that it's capable of having. Mm-hmm. What's funny, the other day I saw on social media a video, someone replaced the Imperial March song for Darth Vader in one of the opening scenes where he's walking with a slow, cheesy love song for Marvin Gaye. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> it, was, it was so awesome, and it made quite the difference. I mean, there was no longer that intimidation factor that Vader had of being the great enforcer. So I think that that just beautifully shows just the power of musical choice and how it can change, inspire, and move you. The great Aretha Franklin once said that music does a lot of things for a lot of people. It's transporting. It takes you right back to the certain moments of your life that empowers you, that leaves you uplifted, encouraged, and strengthened. When music hits you, you do not feel the pains of this world. You know, that is something that is directly related to Christ in so many ways. When he is your quote unquote song, it is transporting. It literally takes you to a world that's pain-free. You know, this is something that I know to be true as I've had many times in my life where Christ wasn't quote unquote, my song or my purpose. He may have been on the back burner. And there's been times in my life where his song is rightfully on repeat. And in those moments is when I am completely strengthened to be more than I'm ever capable of being. Yeah, that's beautiful, Jordan. And Aretha Franklin is great. (laughs) R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Nice. So that moves us to chapter 23. Chapter 23 deals with the destruction of Babylon or the Babylonian Empire. Biblical scholars see this chapter, which is Isaiah 13, uh, simply as Isaiah's writings about the fall of Babylon, but we actually know it to be much more than that. We talked a couple of weeks ago, Jordan, about the writings of Isaiah having multiple fulfillments. Mm. This is a prime example of that. Right. The chapter heading describes it as a type for the destruction that's to take place at the second coming. It's called the great and dreadful day of the Lord for a reason, and In this chapter, in great detail, Isaiah describes some of the destructions that will take place. The chapter ends with a prophecy about ancient Babylon that starts in verse 20. Quote, It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. So, This prophecy absolutely has come to pass, and it's still the case today. You know, by all historical accounts, Babylon was one of the greatest cities of the ancient Middle East. I I was 
fascinated by this this week. So I took some time to look up some information about where Babylon is like in relation to modern day maps. Oh, nice. It turns out that Babylon is about 55 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. I was reading in its heyday, Babylon was a huge city about the size of Chicago with it. Mm. Towering buildings and temples, beautiful hanging gardens. The city was overtaken by the Persians around 539 BC, and it was slowly and systematically destroyed. And as foretold by prophets, including Isaiah in this chapter, today it's buried beneath mounds of sand, and it's a barren desert wasteland where no one lives, only snakes and desert creatures. So sad and incredible at the same time. Something that touched my heart and something I absolutely adored was reading that if you were to take the cover of this book away and just read the words, this is something that any and all Christian denominations could stand in agreement with. As verse 20 says, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, which I have spoken, whereby man can be saved. And this ties in beautifully to verse 26. And in my humble opinion, this is the anthem of the Book of Mormon, that we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, and we preach of Christ. Jordan, definitely powerful words and a great way to, to wrap up our show and our study for this week. We'd like to finish our show with a challenge for this week. Our challenge for this week is to use the lessons taught in these chapters to prepare yourself individually and also your loved ones collectively to be active participants in the gathering of Israel. If you're able to, please add a talk to your study for this week. It's from Elder Ahmed S. Corbett, entitled, You Can Gather Israel, and it's from the April 2021 General Conference. The talk is undoubtedly aimed at the youth of the church, but all of us can find hope and inspiration in its message. We hope that that message will help all of us feel the urgency of this most important work on the earth today. An update on the tear jar. Jordan, you held it together pretty good today. Good job. I, I on the other hand, didn't. So $5 from me into the tear jar, bringing our running total to $105. Do you know how many golf balls you could buy with $105 and pay that guy back? Today, not that many. When I was 21, probably a lot. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoy these chapters this week, and we hope that our show and the, some of the things that we talked about add to your enjoyment of the scriptures. If you haven't followed us on Instagram yet, please do so at Standing Firm Podcast. That's all for this week. Tu'uma'u, uh, stand firm, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast, is a production of Sierra House Publishing, LLC. The show, or any opinions expressed therein, are not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For a transcript of today's show, please visit our website at standingfirmpodcast.com. <laughs>